What's up? This is Patrick of RadicCards.com, and in this podcast, we'll be covering showcase selection and a brand image. So I was at the Dallas Card Show last month, January 2022, and um, usually when I go to these things, these, all the card shows I go to, really, I, I serpentine through the aisles and sort of make my rounds with kind of glancing at what's in the showcases, what's on the tables, what's in the bargain bins, and just, you know, just going as efficiently as I can to see as much as I can at the show so I can find things in the nooks and crannies of the show. And when I walk by showcases, I don't really pay a lot of attention to what's in them because oftentimes it's stuff I'm not really interested in or couldn't afford anyway, just because I, I don't buy a lot of modern and that's a lot of what's showcased. There are a lot of dealers who sell vintage and um, that stuff's great too, but I I'm usually in the bargain bin shopping stuff, but every now and then I pay closer attention to something if it grabs my attention in the showcase for one reason or another. So usually in showcases, it's the higher end stuff that's under lock and key, right? The stuff that requires some sort of security, some safety, but they're the, the stuff that brings the marquee value to the showcase. So you see a lot of Mantles and Kobe's and Jordans and Griffey's and um, just all the classic guys, Gretzky, um, and then you've got all the like, like soccer and F1 types and all that's making a sort of a, a, a like a, a presence in the hobby. You've got the Pokemon guys, some magic cards are also making presence, but you know, whatever's under the lock and key of the showcases is typically the best stuff. And it's expected. I expect to see high grade slabs or high grade cards in, in, in the showcases. I expect that it's almost like. I don't expect to see low end ever. I, see, I expect to see that stuff in the bargain bins. So when I see low end in showcases, I have to kind of stop and think to myself, like, what on earth is this seller ex- like doing putting an 88 Donruss Roberto Alomar in under the showcase, like in the showcase? Like, wh- what's the point of this? You know, I, I, so I, the reason that kind of sparked this idea is I, one dealer I walked past, he had an 87 Tops Barry Bonds, an 88 Donruss uh, Roberto Alomar, and an 89 Donruss Craig Biggio rookie card. And I walked past his showcase, and I thought to myself, well, wait a minute, that that's odd. Those are cards I get from 10 to 50 cents to a dollar all day, every day, forever. Just don't really need to pay much more of that than for those cards because they're massively produced. So I stopped after I walked past and I turned around and I walked up to that dealer and I, I asked him, I was like, what are you asking on that Roberto Alomar? He's like, I'd do 10. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, what about the bonds? He's like, I- I'd do 20 on the bonds. I was like, okay, so how much for the 89 Donruss Craig Bijou rookie card? He's like, well, that's an error. So I'm asking 50 on that. And I said to him, are you going to feed me the period, no period after the ink symbol thing? Is that what you're going to feed me? He's like, yeah. I was like, you got to understand that for every one period, there's one more unperiod. These are not rare cards. They printed billions of each. You buy a brick of them, you get like half and half, like a good chunk of each. Like you don't have to worry about. It. I don't know why there's this period, no period propaganda that's floating around the hobby. They're not rare. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> the ink period, ink no period thing is not an error. It's just there's a slight small variation. There's a lot of releases like that in the early '90s. You'll see the asterisks with another a number after it, and some of them have a different number. You'll see two asterisks. You'll see period, no period. You'll see all kinds of different things in those variations. Heck, Tops has the like 
glowback and no glowback, they're not rare. They're, it's all that stuff. You buy lots of them. You're going to get some of each, like a bunch of each if you buy a big lot. So we didn't, I didn't, I wasn't interested in even telling him that the stuff he's got in his showcase is not worth even a fraction of his asking prices. It wasn't worth my time. I just think it's interesting when people do that, what they're really telling everybody else is they lack knowledge on the hobby. And it makes them kind of look not great. Like it's not a good reflection of an image. Like they don't, it, it impacts their brand image. Like they might not even know it. And it's not my job to tell them. It's not anybody's job to tell them. It's their, it's their job to figure it out for themselves. You know, typically I, I see the standard high grade. I rarely see this instance of, of super low grade, massively overpriced under lock and key. I saw this at the 2017 national, I think. One guy attended the national one dealer and his entire showcases, all of his showcases, like, like a bunch of them, they were all low end. And the prices were just ludicrous. It was like a 94 finest Frank Thomas. The guy went on 20 bucks for it. A raw card. Not even the refractor. <laughs> like like it's, it's just a raw standard base card. And you know, when I see that, I'm like, it's, it's too bad that that happens. But it's a signal that this person is brand new to the hobby. Like just brand new. Like doesn't, hasn't been in it very long. Probably one of the people who came in in the last two years uh, over the COVID spike. Um you know, there are a lot of knowledgeable people in that new entry block, uh, but there are a lot who are still learning. And, you know, honestly, this hobby is very complex. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to learn. So I don't blame him for that. I just think that it's going to be hard to make his money back on his table fees if that's what he's peddling. That's the thing. It's like it becomes his problem. It becomes their problem. Um, they have to figure it out. That, that And they will if they're not selling anything and they just spent, you know, two or 300 bucks on a table fee they're going to be like, well, I won't come back or I'll have to figure out how to change the scope of my, my offering, whatever it is I'm trying to sell. Um, and so that's something that, you know, I, I discussed other things with him. He had, he had other, another piece that was really interesting and fascinating. And I liked it. Of course, it wasn't something I'm interested in, but I kind of just wanted to make it a point that I wasn't just there for those cards because I didn't want to make it too obvious that, you know, I was trying to like point out that those cards are worth very, very little in comparison to his asking prices. And I didn't want to like, also, I don't want to offend people too. It's just like my, my, my position is that I want to inquire uh, without seeming too obvious about what it is I'm trying to do. Uh, but nice guy, super nice guy. I talked to him for like, I don't know, a good five, six minutes maybe. And we just back and forth about really memorabilia. Like I, I moved the discussion to memorabilia uh, because... <laughs> I, I was I got the information I needed from the stuff in a showcase and I just wanted to talk about something else. But super nice guy and he has a lot to learn is, is really what it comes down to. And, and I hope he does. And I hope he does learn and he comes back to the shows and, and gets his feet wet and, and uh, figures out how best to sell product, like how what to sell. You know, like sometimes when you're not selling product, it, it comes down to two main things. Your prices aren't right or what you're selling isn't right. And sometimes it's both. Right, and so in, in his instance, it's kind of both, because the cards have low collectability in themselves as they are standalones, and the prices were too high. So really, he should change his scope and his prices. And so it's nothing, it's easy to do. He can do that. Everybody can. Uh, but that's just something that if if you enter a market and you're brand new at it and you're not selling product, it 
might be because pe- what you're selling is stuff people don't want or your prices are too high. You know, and, and that's, you'll figure it out real fast. <laughs> if you're not moving product within a month's time, it's, it, it's time to go back and revisit what it is you're selling and how you're selling the product. Um, I just for the record, I love those cards. I'm a huge junk wax fan. If you've been following my blog for any amount of time, you, you understand that when I go to shows, a lot of <laughs> a good chunk of what I buy is that stuff. But I have a cap. I don't buy it at any price point. There are limits. I have very specific rules on how much I'm willing to pay for every one of those cards. I will not pay certain dollar figures for certain cards ever, and I don't care who's selling it. Like unless it's a slabbed card, I'm talking raw. I buy a lot of raw. But if someone's charging me five dollars for Bonds rookie, I'll walk. I don't need. I don't. I don't. I just don't need it. The Fleer maybe, but everything else, it's just. It's not going to happen. Um, you know, I I'll, I'll be in for like a dollar for the tops or whatever. But the guy's charging twenty bucks. I'm like, <laughs> it's, there's not even a spark of influence and in thought when that 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 information is received. I'm already on to the next thing, whatever that is. Um, but. That was one dealer, and at the Holdouts card show, I think of the, all the dealers I saw, that was the only one who had stuff in a showcase that was the wrong scope and the wrong price. Nice guy, super nice guy, but most the like vast, vast majority of the dealers there know know what they're doing, and they're smart and they work hard. And I'm, this guy does too, I'm sure, um, but. You want to go to sell. You want to go to move, to make money. You don't want to double think things like, should I buy, sell this to this guy? Or one, one dealer asked me, he's like, hey, Patrick, I had this guy come in to buy this card. Uh, what do you think? I was like, well, what are you here for exactly? Are you here to sell or keep? And so I think that when I, when I positioned that reply to him, it got him thinking, Unfortunately, with that transaction, I came back after walking the room again, and I came back to him. I said, "Hey, what whatever happened with that deal?" He's like, "The guy never came back." I was like, "Man, it's just so what you just did is you indicated to the market that you you're holding is more important than selling, and that's fine. But if you're here to sell, take advantage of offers when they come by and try to counter and figure out a negotiation that works. You know, maybe not send the prospect on their way to come back later because they might not come back." Um, I've done that. Like, hey, come back tomorrow, and then I forget, or like, I don't. I my I'm on to something else. Like that that's happened. Um, but I, I'm a little bit more persistent in my strategy. Like, if I see something that I like, I'll make it a point to go back and see if I can close a deal on it. it. Like, typically when that happens, it's usually because my first interaction with the table is that the person behind the counter isn't the negotiating authority. They're like the assistant or the person there just to have the second person to man the table with. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll swing back, you know, the day after or a couple hours later when I'm doing my rounds and see if I can work something out. And, you know, I'm pretty the negotiation thing is that if like if we can't reach a deal, that's OK. Like, I don't it's nothing against them or us. Like, it's just just couldn't agree on a, on a, on a price. There's no problem. I have. I've met some great people at these shows. Most people, most interactions have been really great. And one gentleman, he and I have worked on deals together and we've passed on deals. And I always, but I always make it a point to go back and say hi and, and see what he's got. And I, I typically buy something from him. Um, super nice guys. And uh, that has been a really great experience for me to build my network and to 
to, to get to know other dealers and, 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 you know, I'm not a dealer yet, not, but I, I may be in the future. I want to set up at one of these shows and, and start, you know, moving some of my inventory, not my cards, but my, my uh, supplies line. So we'll see what happens there. But I just want to touch on this aspect of, you know, what you present to the market and how you price your products will reflect on your brand image. And, you know, could reflect on your brand identity if you start to internalize that maybe I'm doing something wrong. I'm not selling this stuff. What's going on? And then you maybe, you know, ask people, hey, like, hey, what am I doing wrong? I'm not selling anything. And somebody, if, if you're lucky, you'll get an honest response. And if you're really lucky, you'll take the honest response and not get defensive about it. Um, and so uh, this is just kind of a, an interesting way that, that to, to, to understand in business your presentation of product can influence how people perceive your knowledge authority on the category, whatever that is. So in this case, it's sports cards, trading cards. Um, you know, like the Bonds and the Alomar and the Bijou, like, I, I mean, there's, they're so available. There's no reason why you should pay $20 for raw. I mean, I think we're many, many decades out from seeing those price points for those cards. Like many, could be like a century out. Like seriously, I, there's so many of them in, in the market that it's going to be a while before I think anybody's going to pay 10 bucks for a raw 88 Donruss Roberto Alomar. <laughs> and 50 bucks asking price for the 89 Bijou in any version is not going to happen for many years to come. And especially that ink dot, ink no dot nonsense. It is just nonsense. Anybody who's paying premiums for that does not know that that stuff was printed into the gajillions. Heck, they're still printing it now. <laughs> the printing presses are still producing 89 Donruss today, right now. <laughs> it's the joke, right? It's like, yeah, they're still printing 88 Donruss right now. still going, still happening. They've, they've never stopped printing it. <laughs> so when I go to the shows, I see bricks of everything. It's constant. I used to joke that I have some really like like super knowledgeable friends in the hobby. Like they've been around since before I was born and they've been in the hobby doing, you know, cards since I wasn't even around yet. <laughs> I told a friend of mine, I was like, you know, I want to, want to make it my life's goal to get every single copy in print ever of the 88 tops, Greg Maddox, like my life's goal to get every copy head that has ever been printed of that card. <laughs> of course I won't do that. But one of these Dallas card shows that came back with something like 30 copies of that card. And so I joked about it that, like, I'm going to drop every project in my life and just focus on that one card. It's just such a funny thing to think about. What a horrible use of time and money. <laughs> one of my favorite pictures is certainly great. But just, like, the content that all that time and money could be spent on other things that could, you know, improve your life or whatever. It's just I'm spending it all on 88 Tops Greg Maddox. <laughs> Not even a rookie card. <laughs> so... Anyway, to touch on that, the showcase selection and brand image piece, I think, is an important one to touch on because your actions reflect your presentation, your 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 perceived image. When people perceive you, um, it can be influenced by what you produce and deliver to the market. This can go, you can stretch this out into other aspects of life, like how you interact with people, how you dress. Um, how, how you talk, how you deliver dialogue to people, the quality of your vocabulary, the quality of your brevity, 
um, the quality of your emails, like what do you say in email and how do you present yourself? Do you, dr- you drab on and on for like paragraphs to say one small bullet point? Or do you just say like, this is it, done, and just save the, the reader time? So this is, I think, not just in trading cards, but in kind of life alone, um, that, that, you know, less is more, you know, like don't waste time saying 12 words when six will do, you know, don't use run on sentences, you know, drop paragraphs after five sentences or, you know, just try to consolidate delivery of content somehow. And if it necessitates a longer duration of something, some capacity, then fine, like produce that result. But oftentimes it doesn't. Typically you can get things done faster. You know, um, you can process things more efficiently by just simplifying things. Just simplify things. You know, like I'm not selling. Okay, let's change what I'm selling or let's change the prices. Let's change like maybe I'm not selling in the right category. Maybe I need to learn what I do well, whatever that is. I always, you know, I've given a lot of talks in my day and one of the things I talk about is the value of hobbies. When you learn something about something and you're curious about it and you love it and you find your passion, you will find opportunities in that category, whatever that is. And if you love something so much, you'll naturally learn about it and you'll be good at whatever that is in that category, whatever you end up doing, if you're a writer or a seller or a designer or whatever it is that you do, you'll, you should have a higher probability to find success in whatever that is, right? So the hobby thing is just such an important piece. Um, another thing too, as I talk about, is that we were all born with very specific talents. Some of us were naturally good at whatever that is. Like our parents put us through a lot of structure growing up, like all the different sports practice, you know, the, the pep rallies for swimming or archery or whatever it is. That's to figure out what we do well naturally. In college, it's the same thing. We're required to take all these core classes that most of us don't want to take, but it's because they're trying to f- help us figure out what, what we want to do, what we want to major in, what, what we want to, how we want to make money in, in after college. The other benefit of the core classes are that it helps you have common dialogue with people to create conversation that's not just about the latest news feeds. It's like it's deeper, richer knowledge that you get to take with you. Um, have, helps you learn how to think. So there, there are tertiary benefits to the core classes. But in, you know, in hobbies, you'll eventually find what you do well. You'll eventually find your place. If you, if you tinker with it enough, you'll eventually find that, whatever it is. Um, and in selling, you'll naturally meander around to find what works and what doesn't, if you're willing to listen, if you're willing to observe. So the guy not selling the, the junk wax singles for massive overpriced p- premiums, you know, it behooves him to wise up and be like, well, okay, well, what am I doing wrong? And then figuring that out and then adjusting accordingly so that he can make money, so that he can support his family or whatever it is he does. So I'll end there. Just, you know, something to think about if, if you're presented with an opportunity to set up at a show, know what you're selling. Uh, know, know what is hobby fluff you know the ink dot ink no dot is fluff that it's if if you want to sell it maybe put it on online to see if you can capture that audience but when it comes down to you gotta remember if you go to the show you're going to be surrounded by a ton of professionals who are in this to like they've been doing this a while and people who are hobby experts walking around asking questions and so 
the 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 dealer showcase at the show might not be the best place to present this content. Maybe put it online if you feel like you can ride that wave of people buying the ink no ink stuff for hundreds of dollars. It's just absurd. And sometimes I think about putting up my some of my stuff just to make a little extra money, but I don't know. I'd have to do comp research and see if that 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 trend is still happening. So funny. Anyway, I'm going to end there. Thank you for tuning into the Radicards podcast and radicards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno, and until next time, enjoy collecting. If you like this content, please subscribe. Thank you. Enjoy collecting.